So whether it's in business or personally, know what's yours and what you specifically are called to do. And then you've got to let go of the rest and trust that other people are taking care of it. Because you can think of a million things in your business, a million things probably in your personal life or in the world at large that are good causes or good things to do, but you cannot do it all. Welcome to Ultra Habits. Here, we go under the hood with our guests to unpack the minutiae and to understand what processes and systems they engage or research that result in ultra-enhanced living. Hey guys, it is RJ Singh here. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Ultra Habits. And today we're talking about time management. So I have Elizabeth Grace Saunders on the show. I came across Elizabeth's work on the Harvard Business Review. Now, this woman has written more articles than anyone I know. It, and you know what? It really highlights her ability to manage her time because the amount of articles and her contribution rate is phenomenal. And I have always loved her stuff. Wanted to get her on the show because for me, time management and creating guardrails around our priorities and what's essential is really an ultra habit. It is a fundamental pillar of how I operate and how I'm able to really focus on the high ticket items and the things that are important. And you know, I'm quite selfish, you know, in, in terms of who and why I bring guests on. You know, a lot of times I'm bringing guests on because I want to talk about things that are important to me. And I do know they will and it will be important for the community. So the question is, is executives or startup founders or anyone out there in corporate or anyone just building a business or doing a lot, how do we create the systems and processes that really enable us to focus on the things that matter, have time for the things that matter, and also have time for ourselves. You know, we 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 tend to not necessarily view the time that we have for ourselves as a priority and you know the time to reflect, the time to just be. These are all the things that we discussed today on the show. With Elizabeth. Now, Elizabeth is a practitioner. She, you know, she wasn't a a academic. She initially came into this piece through realizing that, you know, her time management and the way that she was going about things wasn't necessarily serving her. And she went down this path of evolution and really starting to understand how she could better utilize her time. And you know what? This has led to a few books multiple contributions to the Harvard Business Review, Forbes, Fast, you know, and it was a pleasure to have this conversation with Elizabeth. And I had a lot of takeaways in terms of how I can continue to focus on the priorities in my life, create the right guardrails, and really flourish, particularly in areas like with my family, ensuring that the time that I'm spending with them is quality and not necessarily just quantity. So anyways, folks, I'm going to leave you in the capable hands of Elizabeth. Please rate this podcast. Send us an email too. go to the website at www.ultrahabits.co. A lot of you have been reaching out. I'm super, super accessible. I will always get back to you and, you know, always happy to rap about things like, you know, habits, 
systems, processes, how we can optimize. I'm always up for good, good banter as well. You know, it may not be on the phone or it may not be via, you know, web calls, but at least on email, we can always communicate and you can always let me know what you think about the show. Let me know what you think we can improve. You know, we're all about getting better and uh, optimizing the show is something that I'm always thinking about. So anyways, folks, I'm going to leave you in the capable hands of Elizabeth. Thank you for joining us. Have a great week. I'm out of here. Peace. Elizabeth, uh, welcome to Ultra Habits. This is the second time we've had you on the show, but this is only the first recording because we had some technical issues before. We, not my first technical issue uh, situation, but I'm so grateful to have you on the show because uh, your message is truly important and our audience will really benefit from the conversation today. Well, thank you. I'm happy to be here. We're talking about time management. Now, I personally have always perceived time in a really weird way. And I've always had a very interesting relationship to time. I've always kind of have been under this natural perception of um, not having enough time and uh, almost have always been very acutely aware of what I need to be doing next. And because I've jam-packed the day, I'm never really in the moment or in my body. I'm just trying to move through things. And at the end of the day, it's like I ran a race. And I've probably done a lot of things, but I don't necessarily know how well I've done them. <laughs> And so this conversation for me, you know, is yes, it's for the audience, but it's a selfish conversation because I want to understand more about how I can manage my time better. So one of the things that I actually got from your website was that a lot of your coaching and a lot of the people that come to you for coaching, they, they feel guilty and they feel a bit overwhelmed and, and frustrated and you work with them to feel peaceful, confident and accomplished. How does focusing on time management help one get to the more positive space that you're talking about? Time management really impacts every single part of our life. So time management impacts your health, it impacts your work, it impacts your personal life. So if you're not feeling peaceful, there could be a lot of different reasons for that. But if the reason why you're not feeling peaceful is because like you said, you're feeling like you're always running, never stopping then time management is part of part of that journey. And what it is, is that we want to get out of the mindset that there isn't enough time or that something's wrong with the passion, passage of time. And instead, we want to be in the mindset that it's good, that there's a reality around time, that we have a certain number of hours in a day, that we have a certain number of days in a week. That's what we've been given and it's good. And then find out how to live within that reality. I always say reality reality always wins and to rest in that reality and then to create the plans or the environment that brings you into unison with the reality so that you can have that peace, that flow, that lack of frustration because you're not always constantly trying to fight against what actually is and that is limited time. I would imagine most of the people that you coach don't have an issue with like getting things done. It's more so just overwhelming 
themselves, right? Like I would, you know, executives, I would imagine don't have an issue with kind of getting off the couch per se, but I suppose it's, it's really about how to focus better on the right activities and things like that. In terms of your experience, particularly with the people that you coach, do they generally come to you at a rock bottom or like, is there some kind of crisis moment where they just, they just burnt out or is it something that you find you're helping people unpack maybe earlier in the journey when they're not so far? Like what, what's typically the range of, of where your typical, I guess, client is? Yeah. So there's, a huge range, <laughs> but I would say most of the people that end up working with me are at a place where there is some kind of crisis or they are feeling incredibly stressed out because it's hard to change. It's kind of like with health, like people might say, you know, I want to lose weight. I want to get into shape. I want to do this or that thing, but it's not usually till maybe they go to the doctor and the doctor says you have to lose weight or something terrible is going to happen that you actually end up making that change. So I would say the majority of people are in a place where maybe they got a bad performance review or they're having conflicts with their husband or wife because they're always working at night and they're not really present and distracted or they had a health scare. They did go to the doctor and the doctor's like, you have to reduce your stress. This is just not working. You're gaining weight. You're not exercising like you need to get things in order. So I would say most people are in that situation. Although sometimes um, I always feel happy for people who do this. People reach out to me when they're in the middle of a transition. So for example, maybe they got a promotion um, or had their role grow. They took on a new team or they got married or they had their first child and they recognize, oh, I'm in a new season and I need to up-level my time management skills to get me to that next level. And so they'll reach out to me then, which is wonderful because then we can be proactive instead of reactive having to pick up the pieces. Corporate life and executive life trains us to become very schedule orientated, I would say, right? Like even my wife, who is like the furthest away from corporate, like now she sends me calendar invites, right? Like, and it, that's practical, right? But she would have never thought about that when we met, but it's through her interaction with me and the way I operate. And, you know, I would imagine for many of us, like if we don't manage our schedule, you know, now with calendar sharing and stuff like that, our schedule gets managed for us, right? Would you say that people that have issues with time management, like, are they a certain type of person or have they evolved to become like that through the demands of corporate life or is it a bit of both? I would say it's a bit of both. So I would say sometimes there's people that are naturally just very spontaneous. They tend not to like planning or schedules, like to do things by the seat of their pants. And so they naturally will try to fly by as long as they can without actually thinking about time management. And it's amazing how far some people can get without, without doing that. Um, but there are some people that are actually do have a pretty good level of time management, but they just get to a point in their career as an executive or as a senior leader where what they were doing just doesn't work anymore. And what I find is there's often needs to be a paradigm shift because when you're first starting out in your career, a lot of it is about just getting your own work done. So are you on top of your own projects, your own task list? And then as you elevate to the next level, as you're an executive managing more and more people, there's more and more competing priorities. You still need to get things done, but it's just as important that you're making decisions about what's the priority, what's in, what's out, 
how much time and money we're spending in different areas. You're delegating as much as possible. You're saying no, you're setting boundaries and you're protecting your time. And so a lot of those skills in terms of the high level time management are more needed when you're at an executive level. And a lot of people just never learned that. So they need to up level and think about time management more as the time investment, which I talk about in my my various books so that they're not staying in the tactical and they're really getting to the strategic. Do you find your clients that are elevating from tactical roles to strategic roles feel guilty when they're not doing stuff? Well, I think what I notice is a lot of times it's hard for them to let go of control. So if they're a very high performer that's used to having kind of the motto, if you want something done, do it yourself. The idea of letting go of control and allowing someone else to do it, even if it won't be as good as they would do it, but it'll be, you know, 80, 85% as good is a hard thing for them because they don't want to be embarrassed and they want to make sure things are done and they have to develop the ability to coach, mentor, delegate and follow up with people instead of just holding on to control by themselves. And then also they do have to get rid of the idea that somehow it's bad or wrong if they have time off at night or time off on the weekends. That's okay. It's healthy. It's normal. It's what allows you to be successful in your career for the long haul. And it's also setting a good example for your colleagues, because if you are at the top saying, oh, I want people to have balance, I don't want them to burn out. And then people are getting emails from you at midnight all the time. They're going to think you don't actually mean that and that it's not okay for them to have balance. You know, for a very long time, I thought, you know, my issue around being more present and being in my body was more of a internal discipline place. So like, you know, I went through the meditation and that route, which I think was valuable and is valuable. And then I had this realization, I think after I read Essentialism, which was a pretty good book, yeah, yeah. that I could come at it a different way too. And that was actually understanding my priorities. So I could manage my environment too, like whereas previous to that, I was trying to manage my state. But like, how can you be a Zen master when you're literally flying from, you know, moment to moment, your your day is jam-packed. And like, I guess for someone like me, it wasn't that I'm highly scheduled. It was that I had a lot of things that weren't necessarily priorities within that schedule, right? So with people that you work with, do you tend to find it's a discipline issue or a prioritization issue with the people that tend to seek your help? Right. Well, there's a huge range. So some of my clients struggle more with getting distracted and not focusing. And so then it is more like a discipline issue, having app blockers for things that distract them or making sure they're doing their daily and weekly planning routines. They know what they're doing, when they're doing it, all of that. But then I would say, again, it's more the higher level executives. A lot of times it is the prioritization piece. So they are working very hard. They're not getting distracted. They are being very disciplined, but they're running around trying to do everything or they're running around trying to make everyone happy. And to be most effective, you can't do that. You need to decide what are the key, most important things, focus on that and be willing to let go of other things. Like, so for example, um, one thing I've seen as I coach people at different phases of their career is email. Like when you start out in your career, it's pretty important to respond to email and make sure you're on top of it. And then as you go on, it's still a nice idea. But if you get to the point where you're getting four or 500 emails a day, 
you can't possibly read and respond to everyone. And so as an executive, you need to decide what is the most important things for me to read and respond to and be okay with a lot of things kind of going by the wayside, the email so that you can really focus on the highest priorities. And so you have to basically be willing for certain things to quote unquote suffer or not be perfect for the greater good of what you need to accomplish versus if you try to keep up again on all the minutia, then you can get in a place where what's really most important isn't getting done and you're going to miss and have huge blind spots strategically. It's an interesting point you've touched on. You're, you have to develop trust as well, right? Like I would imagine maybe there's a correlation between being a highly performing individual and maybe a lack of trust when you're the, uh, focused as an individual. But now you're talking about you're in a strategic role. You have to be able to impart and trust that people will do things. You brought up an interesting point too around emails and inboxes. I would have thought that the more senior someone is, the less emails they would be getting. Is that not your experience? Yeah, that's not my experience. <laughs> wow. So usually when they get more senior, there's hundreds and hundreds of emails. And so some of them manage that by having a really good executive assistant that will go through and sort through and take care of a lot of, of a lot of that and figure out what's to do, what they need to read, what's not. So that can be one way to manage the flow of what's going on and to not get completely overwhelmed. But if you don't have an executive assistant or for whatever reason, they're not able to do that role, you do basically need to triage. And how I've seen a lot of executives handle it is they say, well, if it's really important, someone will follow up. So they trust that someone will call, someone will show up at their office, someone will text them, find a way to get in touch with them and that they can't be staying up until one in the morning every night trying to get through hundreds and hundreds of emails. So with the way that you work with people, do you have them focus week by week? Like how do you start to orientate them to develop a practical approach to how they manage their their time and their in their calendar? Yeah, for sure. So I work with individuals over the course of three to six months. Usually if someone's an executive, it'll be a six-month-long program. And we start out by assessing their schedule. So I'll ask them about everything in their schedule, when they get up, when they go to bed, when they have recurring meetings, when they want to exercise, when they want time with their family, whatever that looks like. And then I lay that out into an initial weekly schedule. And the goal there is to just get a sense of what their time budget looks like. So how much time do they have already allocated to fixed expenses, meaning the things that they need to do every week and are already set in their schedule and how much disposable time income they have for different things they want to do. And so that's basically where we start out. And what I find with a lot of people that are senior in their career is that they're scheduled too tightly with fixed expenses. So they have too many meetings on their calendar, too many things they're committed to, that they have very little disposable time income for strategic thought, projects they need to get done or other things, which often leads to oh, it's five or six o'clock. Now I can actually start my own work instead of having been able to get their work done during the day. And so because of that, usually once we've done the schedule, the next session with people that are higher level managers will be a meeting management coaching session where we talk through, do you need to be in all these meetings? Could you delegate the meetings? Could you be in the meetings for less time? Could you make the meeting shorter? Could they be less frequent? 
Could you only show up for a certain part of the meeting, like the first five minutes and give your thoughts and then leave for the team to figure out the rest? So we're really looking to cut the budget in terms of the fixed expenses with their time. And then from there, we start to build in blocks of time for them to protect for themselves, their own work that they need to get, get done, whether it's strategic thinking or having some time to answer email and that sort of thing so that they don't feel like there's never time to actually focus on their own priorities. My old chairman used to say to us all the time that you need time to go into a room and just stare at a blank wall. Like he he talked about it a lot and he used to chastise our previous CEO who was addicted to being busy um, that, you know, that was, I think, for our previous CEO, a sign of performance. Like he loved it, right? He loved to be in the thrash and the action, but we needed him to think. In terms of the strategic piece where you're talking about time to think, just out of curiosity, what does that actually look like for a senior executive? So like, are they just sitting in a room with a blank sheet of paper? Like, how does that vary? Yeah, I mean, it'll depend on the person, but a lot of times there's strategic goals that they have as part of their annual plans or quarterly plans. So taking some time during that strategic thinking time to say, okay, if this is our roadmap, if these are the different goals or milestones we're supposed to hit on a quarterly or annual basis, how are we actually going to do this? So thinking through who are the key players, who needs to be involved, do we need other resources? And a lot of times that will look like just paper in their office and just taking time to think and um, be present with what could be going on. Um, sometimes I see people do this in more creative spaces, like it might be that they work from home one day or they uh, go out in nature or do something else to help them think strategically. But a lot of times it will be just from the office. And it's also a time to work on some of those strategic projects that, again, they might have previously stuffed into late at night hours. So working on a deck for an upcoming board meeting or thinking about how you're going to do a presentation to the staff about a new system that you're rolling out. And so really taking that time to do the work of the thinking work as well as the implementation of that work is something that usually people don't put into their schedule. And so again, they're trying to fit it in at 10 o'clock at night and it's very stressful and not their optimal thinking time. What have you found with time management and the lack of skill with it that individuals may have and the detriment to the family? So I'm sure a lot of the executives may tell you family's important, but it's not represented through the way they manage their calendar. What are and how are some of the ways that some of the more capable executives that you work with in terms of getting them to a better place with time management, how they allocate time with the family? Like, do you find it's like completely cleared weekends? Are they still working? Are there any patterns? Like, is there anything there that you've seen that's helped? Yeah. So I think one of the best things is just having designated time and being very clear on when you're going to be with your family and when you're not. And I've seen a variety of patterns. If people have really young children, I sometimes see them be with the kids for a little bit of time in the morning, maybe at breakfast or like helping getting them ready for school or that sort of thing. Then they're at work. And then often I see a pattern of trying to be home or if you're working from home, you know, be with the family for dinner and make that a priority. And then again, it kind of depends on the age of the kids. So if your kids are young, it's like, okay, be with the family help them get ready for bed. And then you may put in some more hours after that before you go to bed, but you've at least taken that break to be present and with them. And then for the weekends, I see a mix. So some of the people I work with will take the weekends entirely off. 
Um, some will put in some hours, like maybe early on Saturday morning or um, later on Sunday or that sort of thing. I'm okay with people doing some weekend work as long as it's very time bound. So you make a specific commitment during these particular hours, I'm going to be doing work. You plan out what you're going to do and then you stop. Because the worst is if you end up working all weekend because you don't put a stop time in or you end up thinking about work all weekend because you keep telling yourself you should get work done but didn't actually designate a time. And then you end up just feeling guilty the whole time you're with your family instead of enjoying them and just having decided, you know what, I'm going to do work from 6 to 8 p.m. on Sunday. Until then, I'm not going to worry about it. It's a real continual pulse check piece, isn't it? Like it's like you're completely pivoting and auditing the process, right? Like there's no real finish line with it, isn't it? Because I would imagine different families have different strokes and things change as kids evolve. So I'd imagine curiosity and awareness is a big piece of it, eh? Absolutely. So time management is a lifestyle. It's just like eating or exercise. It's not like, oh, I decided what I'm going to eat for three meals a day. And then you're going to eat the same thing for 50 years. That would be really boring and probably wouldn't work. Um, so, you know, you have to see it as a lifestyle where every day you're making good choices and there'll be a lot of routines that are consistent, but some that have to transform over time. And it does vary if, if you have kids, it depends on the age of your kids. So if your kids are young and they still take a nap on the weekends, maybe the perfect time for you to get work done is, you know, Saturday and Sunday afternoon from two to four while they're taking their afternoon nap. Um, if your kids are older, that might be when they have soccer games. That'd be a terrible time to get things done, but they're sleeping in. So the best time is before 10 a.m. in the morning because they're not awake anyway and could care less if you're doing something else. So you just have to keep it in, in flex. And I think also it's important to have the communication with your spouse. So realizing what support they need is there certain times like maybe when the kids are going to school um, or bedtime if they're really young kids where they really need your help or support and so that you're there where it matters and then the times when um, they don't need as much support you're okay and then also I would say in addition to spending time with your kids it's important to spend time with your husband or wife like make them a priority they want your time too and it's a great idea to have a day at night, if you can, um, once a week is ideal, but even if it's every few weeks or even once a month, that's wonderful where you can have a full conversation without the kids interrupting during dinner and just making sure you're taking that quality time. Ideally, again, most nights to have some availability to catch up with your, your spouse. But if you, um, can't do it every night, maybe just a few, like for example, me and my husband, we have, when we were dating, we had Wednesday night date night. And now when we're married, we still have Wednesday night date night where it's understood. We will have, we work out together on Wednesday nights. We will have dinner together and then we'll do something focused on each other not just getting things done or, and we, we definitely like don't go out with other friends unless it's a double date. You know, it's a big piece for me. Like you, I feel I've optimized time at work relatively well time with my kids on the weekend. Um, I have guardrails. I, tend to not work or do anything or even train exercise on the weekend because I'm, it shifts my energy and my focus. Uh, but one of the things I've realized as well is I generally wake up at 5 a.m. and I was sleeping in on the weekend till about 6.30 a.m., which for me is a sleep in, but I was feeling physically worse. So I've decided to, to, to continue to wake up at 5 a.m. on the weekend, which means 
I can do some work on the weekend very early in that hour, hour and a half before my two-year-old wakes up. So why why I bring this up is it's so for me and 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 you've just confirmed like we have to be super aware because like i know if i turn on the laptop in the evening while i'm sitting with my wife and that's really the only time we have to connect we won't connect if my laptop's on and you know that's been the biggest struggle with time management is particularly with the kids is with my wife having quality time not just the catch up you know, and I know that if I have technology on and if there's any leftover residual work from the day, it's not going to be quality time. And these are questions and things that I ponder all the time around how do I continue to evolve in a way which ensures I'm hitting on the objectives I want. And, and part of those objectives are really good strong relationships. And with my wife, I don't want her to get the and, you know, the leftovers, right? And I still feel like I haven't figured that one out because it's just, it's it's challenging, right? It, it really is challenging. So I'm sure the audience resonates with what we're talking about and, and um, will take a lot of value out of what we just discussed. So I want to move into something the deeper element of time management. I we did touch on how, you know, you orientate time management to, you know, concepts of finance, right? Like return on investment. And I think that's really wise and and smart to look at uh, time management like that. But I want to talk about the the deeper elements of time management. And I know that you, you know, you have um, a Christian division of your company which focuses on God-centered approach. To time management. Now, I am personally, I'm not a Christian, but I am a, I'm a spiritual person and I have my views and, and beliefs. And can we talk a little bit more about what that approach is? Like, what's a God-centered approach to time management? Yeah. So basically, so I've written three books. The first, as you mentioned, are more business oriented. <laughs> so the three secrets to effective time investment, how to invest your time with money. So like very business oriented and more or less talking to type B people about how to be more type A. So that was the ethos there. Divine time management is helping type A people chill out. Uh, so I feel like I learned a lot more through writing the third book than I did from the first two, because the first two, I can be the expert and not actually have to be transformed through the process. And the third, I actually had to be transformed. And the whole idea of God-centered time management is basically letting go of the myth that we can truly be in control. So that doesn't mean that we shouldn't plan. It should, doesn't mean we shouldn't say no, set boundaries, do the, all the different things we we're talking about. Absolutely. Your life can be out of control because you make poor choices. And that's something that you need to take ownership and responsibility for. But ultimately, you do everything right, you plan everything right, You'd be very disciplined, very focused, and things could fall apart <laughs> or just not go the way you want or any sorts of things. And so divine time management, the concept and what I talk about in the first section of my book by that name is that trust in God is at the center of time management. So instead of feeling like I am responsible for everything in my life and everything in the whole world, it all has to go right or it's my fault, you can just relax and realize and accept that you're not in control of everything. 
things cannot always go according to plan. When they go fantastically, you might have had some part to play in it, but it wasn't like you made it all happen. And also when they go terribly, it's not all your fault. And so just like living in that humility of being present, being there and letting go of that sense of overwhelm of having to be responsible for everything. And I think one of the key parts of this that I'm more and more acutely aware of, you have to be so aware of your calling. So whether it's in business or personally, know what's yours and what you specifically are called to do. And then you've got to let go of the rest and trust that other people are taking care of it. Because you can think of a million things in your business, a million things probably in your personal life or in the world at large that are good causes or good things to do, but you cannot do it all. So you just have to be laser sharp, clear. This is what I'm called to do with my business. This is what I'm called to do personally. These are the people I'm called to serve. Anything and everything outside of that, it's not that you can't open a door for a stranger or anything like that, but you are not responsible for and you can trust someone else is going to take care of it. And I feel like that really helps with the not getting overwhelmed. That's huge, Elizabeth. So I like the way that you framed the way that you focused on your three books. And I would say, uh, you know, for the type A person that has an issue with time, you know, what you're talking about is underneath all that is fear, right? And this is very, very complex in many ways because you're going into someone's way of upbringing, their insecurities, their scarcity, you know, how they view if they don't take action, things will fall apart. And it's almost critical for successful time management, I would say, right? For people to develop that sense of trust and peace with what they've done in terms of their input and being able to allow the output to flow, right? Is that a difficult piece to coach someone through? So first of all, I agree with you on everything you just said. And second of all, it, it's a process. Some people can grab onto that pretty quickly and other people it takes more time. And a lot of it is based on pretty deeply ingrained beliefs. So for example, in my second book, How to Invest Your Time Like Money, I talk about disconnecting success from suffering. And so a lot of people that I find struggle with this fear around productivity and getting everything done all the time at some point in their life, whether it was a family member, a parent, a teacher, a coach, a colleague, a boss, someone at some point told them to be successful, you have to suffer. And that got connected in their brain synapses. And so when they're not suffering, then they are in terror that they're not going to be successful. And so I have to help them first of all, even recognize that they have that thought pattern. And then to go through the process of questioning that, like, is that actually true? Like, is it actually true that the only way to be successful is to suffer and that if you're not suffering, you're going to fail. And then once you have them question that, you have them start to test it out, like test out going to bed at night instead of staying up to one in the morning, test out setting boundaries, test out not working on the weekend, and begin to just habituate themselves to the fact that they can have a lifestyle that feels healthy and not become an utter failure. And that can help them like move forward in the best way possible. And some people it's quicker, some people it takes longer, but I have found when people are truly willing 
willing and wanting to make a change that they can let go of that, that doing things from a place of fear and can learn to do things more from a place of faith, that everything's working out the way it should. I can only do my part. I can't control the universe and that it's going to be okay. Like life's going to be okay. And me stressing myself out, making myself completely overwhelmed is 100% going to guarantee I hate my life and my work (laughs) and me having a better life balance, like having a way of working I enjoy at least gives you better than a 0% chance that things are going to fall apart. So it's worth a try. Are these higher callings or higher purposes, do you tend to find that it's spirituality or is it like, are there people that are outright, you know, atheists or don't really have a view on spirituality for them, what could a higher calling or higher purpose be? Oh, yeah. And when I mean calling, it definitely doesn't need to be spiritual, although it can be. Absolutely. What I mean by calling is just knowing what you're created and made to do in the world and then doing that. So, for example, I love doing time management coaching. I've been doing that since 2009. It's fantastic. It's definitely my calling. And I work with people all over the world. It's not my preference to do time management training where you go in and you do day-long trainings. I have done those, and at different points of my business, I tried it out, but then I realized I don't actually enjoy this. I'm capable of doing them. They are they can go well, but my calling and my passion is seeing that transformation over the course of three to six months of actually implementing, not just coming in with a shiny box presentation and then leaving the next day, and that's that. So that's just not my calling. And so I've had to learn to say no to that, to even though people contact me about it, to say, you know what, actually, I'm not doing that right now. I'm happy to refer you to someone else, though, if you'd like to. And by staying in alignment with my calling, I love my business and I thrive in what I do. Um, personally, for example, I am really passionate about children. And so at various points, I've volunteered in different ways. Like I volunteer at the church nursery now on the weekend. I've had times when I was a camp counselor for a camp for foster kids. I'm a licensed foster parent. So there's different things that I do at different seasons, but I don't do everything all at once. And I have to be aware of, okay, like for example, this summer I got married. So, and foster kids camp was the week, week after I got married. It was not my calling this summer to be a camp counselor at foster kids camp. But the year before when I did it, I loved it. And I'm so glad I did. And so by not trying to be all things to all people or feel like I always have to do things the same way. You do what will bring fruit and what will bring you joy and will help you bring the positive good in the world that you're supposed to bring right now. But then when it's not your calling, it's not where you're supposed to be. I was supposed to be on my honeymoon this summer, not at foster kids camp. You don't do it. You don't try to force it. You don't say, oh, well, there's not going to be enough counselors. They just need me. You let it go. You trust. And it it works out. It's fine. And that's how you live the best life possible. It doesn't, for me, it's spiritual. I feel like God tells me what is my calling at particular times, but it doesn't have to be that way. You just need to stay in your lane. And that's how you live the best life. When you get out of your lane, that's when for me, I would say God, but other people might say universe or whatever they want. You kind of get smacked back into your life because it's not fun or comfortable. It's very painful and it's just a bad idea. I, I'm I'm biased to this this 
you know, thought because of my time in 12 steps and Alcoholics Anonymous. And I know that, you know, and you've worked with people in recovery, like for us, this is fundamental, right? Acceptance and their serenity prayer. And like, it's for us, if we don't learn to live in reality and be with reality and live on life's terms, we relapse. And for some of those, they, they die. And we learn this very, you know, and for a type A person, that's not an easy lesson. And it's been a journey. Um, it's something I talk about, you know, my, my wife and I had this conversation yesterday. She was a hairdresser, um, didn't love it, kind of has a love-hate relationship with it, has hurt hands now and, you know, and wants to do something else. When we put our two-year-old in daycare and we're thinking about an online business or whatever, and she's like, says to me yesterday, she's like, you know, there's not a salon on the hill we live on. We live in a, on, a, on a big hill and it's not easy to get off or on. And she's like, there's not a salon and everyone thinks it's a great idea. And maybe I should do a salon. And I had to ask her and I get caught up in that too. Like, do you want to do the salon because there's not a salon? Because from what I know in the conversations we've had, that's not your calling. But it's very easy to, to, to see the need and then align yourself to what you think the need is. Yeah. And that's like with the time management training, because people pay you a lot of money to come in and be there for one day. And so you can get tempted to be like, oh, I just should do that. But that's just not what I'm called to do right now. I do do speaking. So I can speak at conferences. It's not that I, I don't do any sort of public presentations, but kind of like if you want to think about like the marathon, eight hour sort of trainings, it's just not me. And in my personal opinion, I don't, believe it's the best way people learn over time. So that's just how, how I do things. And like with your wife, you have to let go of that temptation to think because there's a need, I need to fill it. Maybe she does, maybe not. And that's where the, the trust comes in. And again, yes, you want to look for market needs. You want to align yourselves with that. But in my instance, for example, there is a huge market need for coaching and I can serve plenty of people doing that. I don't need to force myself to do something that's not aligned just because some people email me and want it. And I respect that. And I respect your intention and you know, like you're, you've got a good energy. You've got a, a very dynamic energy in the sense that I can feel that you're a gentle person, but you're a very strong person because you're very committed to your position. And I respect that. And I respect that range. So I think we'll we'll land the plane. Look, I really, really appreciate the time, uh, Elizabeth. I love your articles. You've written, I went on your website and I was like, how does anyone write this many articles? This is crazy. Like the amount of stuff you've written, I've got to talk to you about. Like, how do you even do that? It's cr like the amount of articles is just remarkable. Um, and, you know, for someone that's just written their first one, I'm like, wow, like this is, this is the benchmark, right? Like, how am I going to, so I'd have to have that conversation with you later, but can you, can you maybe leave us for, uh, you know, with, with some kind of actionable tips around, you know, someone wants to create some, some habits around, you know, scheduling time management, well, like other than obviously call you, what are some basic things they can start to do? Right, exactly. So I would say the first thing is decide on some non-negotiable boundaries. So if right now everything's out of control, maybe it's just sleep. Maybe you say, I will always be in bed by midnight. And that's just like your hard stop boundary. So you can get six or seven hours of sleep. It doesn't have to be midnight, but whatever that time is, 
you need to not be sleep deprived all the time. Maybe you start there. From there, I would recommend setting some boundaries around work. At some point, you might get to a boundary where you can cut off work at six o'clock or whatever you decide is good and be free for the evening. Maybe you can't do that right now. So maybe you start with just saying, I will, I will always take a dinner break or I will always go to the gym in the evening and then I have to log back on. I can for an hour or two and then I'm going to go to bed at my set time. And then the next thing would be really starting to delve into your work schedule. And what I would recommend in terms of the highest impact activities for executives are really culling down your meeting schedule. I've seen people be able to reclaim hours and hours of their life by doing that. And then secondly, start to get in recurring events for your strategic time during your work week. So just have as a recurring event blocked out time, like for example, maybe it's Monday and Wednesday, one to three, where no one can schedule with you. You just have that as a recurring time in your calendar and start to force the flow of your meetings to go around the time you need to be effective. And so those are those are some basic things. So start with just taking care of yourself, like not having enough sleep will definitely reduce your productivity. Number two, start to set some boundaries over your overall work container. And then three or three and four would be call down your meetings to the most essential and then start to get the strategic blocks saved in advance so people can't just take all your time. Beautiful advice. And Elizabeth, where can our audience find you? Absolutely. You can find me on my website, which is reallifee.com. So that's R-E-A-L-L-I-F-E and then E as in Elizabeth.com. Thank you so much for your time, Elizabeth.